Diversity, equity, and inclusion are common buzzwords these days in every industry. Organ donation and transplantation are truly impacted. We previously shared the very emotional story of the Huerta family who received the help of the Illinois Transplant Fund. And we heard directly from Kevin Smunt who led the charge to create the Illinois Transplant Fund. Today, you'll hear an episode of Let's Talk Hope. Our friends Marion Shook, Jennifer Aguilar, and Catalina Ramos of Gift of Hope continue the conversation about why ethnicity should not impact your ability to receive a life-saving transplant or your ability to be a donor. I'm Monica Fox, kidney transplant recipient and host of the Journey Continues podcast. Come on, let's listen together. Ethnicity shouldn't be an obstacle to living a long and healthy life, but sometimes, unfortunately, it is. The Latino community is a strong and thriving community that is growing every day. And with its growth comes challenges because a lot of infrastructure, a lot of services aren't equipped to be able to meet the demand of this growth. That's Jennifer Aguilar. She's the Community Outreach Specialist at Gift of Hope. I'm Marian Shuck, your host for Let's Talk Hope, a podcast that shares inspiring stories of hope through organ, eye, and tissue donation, where we discuss important topics about how your health and well-being plays a critical role in the donation process. In this episode, Jennifer tells us about the important work she does in Hispanic communities to build trust in how she knocks down the myths and misconceptions about organ and tissue donation. We'll also speak with Catalina Ramos Hernandez, program coordinator for the Illinois Transplant Fund. She'll share the important work the Illinois Transplant Fund is doing so that everyone has access to organ transplantation and aftercare. Jennifer, can you talk about the work you do at Gift of Hope? Yes, Marian. I am a community outreach specialist with Gift of Hope. I focus my work on the Hispanic community in our service area. Jennifer, can you tell us about the different types of projects, initiatives that you do in the Hispanic community? Yes, Marian. Um, I do a lot of outreach in the Latino community, just as long as we have visibility. That is the main uh, point of everything that I do, um, letting people know who Gift of Hope is, what organ and tissue donation is and why it's important. A lot of the initiatives that I do take place in predominantly Latino communities. um, And it goes from having events, uh, attending health fairs, doing events such as Facebook Lives, uh, and participating in educational activities with these communities. So community of color and marginalized communities have, as you know, a healthy mistrust with the healthcare system. Can you tell me what you and Gift of Hope are doing to address these concerns? Yes, we are working in these Latino communities um, to dispel these myths. We are providing education, uh, just talking to people one-on-one. We have great attendance in events that are important in these communities where we get to talk to people and hear why they don't want to become organ and tissue donors or why 
They feel like it's something that they don't want their families to partake in. And we break down everything that they tell us and we explain to them the truth and the facts. And what has Gift of Hope done to support communities of color, particularly African-American, Hispanic, and Asian communities? Gift of Hope has always been there for communities of color by providing support to different organizations in these communities, offering financial help, as well as participating in their events to make sure that Gift of Hope is represented at their events and that we are there when we are called to be there. And tell me about the diversity in makeup. Does Gift of Hope have staff that can support these communities as well? Yes, uh, Gift of Hope is doing a great job at keeping up with the demand of these populations by hiring a diverse staff. And right now, the population is growing when it comes to the Hispanic community in our area. There's a strong focus in hiring more Spanish-speaking staff that is going to be able to take care of our donor families and go out in the community to talk to more people. And in the aftermath of George Floyd, systemic racism, and the global pandemic, what are the needs of the community and what have you found and how has the community responded to organ and tissue donation after everything that's happened? After everything that's happened, the community seems to be more aware of giving back, of the need of giving back. They are feeling more generous. We've noticed that more donor families are deciding to give that gift because they know that there's a lot of Latinos out there that are waiting for an organ transplant. So when they make that decision to to give, there's a high possibility that they are helping someone else who looks like them, who is from their same community. What is the need for organ donation in the Hispanic community? There is a strong need uh, in the Hispanic community, especially when it comes to kidney transplantation. Due to just health barriers in the community, such as uh, primary care access and insurance access, uh, a lot of people don't take care of issues such as diabetes or high blood pressure, which eventually leads to renal failure. A lot of people end up on the organ transplant list because of these issues. Jennifer, what do you say to your Hispanic community when maybe folks are saying, well, they have bad lifestyles, they eat different type of food, and you know they brought these chronic illnesses on themselves? How do you help your communities understand and advocate for themselves? with these chronic illnesses so that they can be transplant ready if they, you know, need a kidney or a liver or any type of in-stage organ failure. The most important thing is to let them know of the resources that are out there for them. A lot of the times it comes due to a lack of information. So I, I just let them know of all the great organizations out there in their communities that provide primary care that provide information such as the National Kidney Foundation of Illinois that have amazing workshops and amazing sessions online and in person to to give more information about how to better take care of ourselves, the best foods to eat, what to stop eating. There's so many great content out there for the community. And I just make sure that I loop in the community and let them know that 
these are uh, available resources for them. You mentioned that you have to dispel myths and misconceptions in the communities. What are some of those myths and misconceptions that are still permeating in the Hispanic community? Uh, the biggest one is that uh, if I become an organ donor, uh, they will let me die. Uh, that is the most common one. And it is common because in the countries of origin, uh, such as Mexico, organ donation and just organ transplantation is seen as something very frightening and scary because it is associated with the black market. A lot of people disappear and you hear later that uh, they disappeared because they took their organs. So it's a very real thing that people are aware of. They're not aware that here in the United States, it's a completely different process that we have everything extremely regulated, that the federal government is involved, and that everything is is safe to, to be able to donate and to save other people's lives. So just letting them know that there's a process, that there's ethics, that there's all these things that they didn't see in their countries of origin, uh, and just making sure that they feel a little bit safer. And so what do you say to them And how do you alleviate those fears? Because as you mentioned, we have one of the fastest growing Hispanic populations in the United States. And so, and we have different types of folks coming from different countries all over South America and Mexico and Puerto Rico. So how do you speak to the diversity in these different Hispanic cultures about organ and tissue donation? And how do you alleviate their fears? I I just talk to them and see what the root is. Usually they share stories of a cousin or an aunt that went into the hospital and they didn't come out alive. And I always make sure that I go deep enough to to see, well, were they organ donors? No, they weren't. You know, then I I explain to them how the process works. That's the, the most important part that a lot of us don't know that, there's certain limitations um, when it comes to become an organ donor. Not everyone that passes away qualifies. It's a very small percentage. And explaining the term of brain death, that's one of the biggest challenges because uh, in our culture and due to media such as telenovelas and and things like that, um, brain death isn't really discussed, but commas are, and people feel that uh, being in a coma and being brain dead is the same thing. So there's a lot of confusion in that. So my job is to clarify that and to let them know that brain death is permanent. You don't wake up from that. You don't come back from that. And when your loved one is declared brain dead, that they are officially dead. And that is something that is extremely important to explain in in the Latino community because we have a strong belief in miracles, in thinking that praying or lighting candles or going on our knees to our church um, will help our loved one wake up. But explaining that that is not possible and being firm about it, it's the best practice when it comes to explaining that. And I see people that understand it, that they definitely get it. They get the difference. And that opens up the possibility of them to become organ donors. They see that there's so many people out there that that could benefit from it. And Jennifer, can you talk about, because I was in uh, community outreach for quite a while at Gift of Hope, and I worked within the Hispanic and the African-American communities. There was 
a lot of push and you can tell me what the perfect term is now, but we had a, you know, it would be undocumented, it would be illegal immigrant, and, you know, just a, a host of names that people would talk to people who immigrated to the United States and didn't have papers. And so what do you say to people who may not have quote unquote papers or who may be undocumented or who may be, and we don't like the word illegal immigrants who are here without the benefit of, you know, having documentation. And they say, well, why should I be an organ donor when I can't receive an organ? Yes, that is one of the biggest issues that uh, we have out there in the community. Um, A lot of people think that way. They believe like, why should I give if, you know, maybe they they themselves aren't undocumented, but a cousin or an aunt or someone that they know that has been in need of a transplant, but can't receive one because of their status. The thing that I tell them is it's not because you are undocumented that you can't receive a transplant. It's the fact that you due to that, you are not able to have uh, health insurance. And that is the main barrier between you and a transplant. And I let them know about the great organization that is the Illinois Transplant Fund that has been helping undocumented people uh, in our area for years, for the past five years um, with this issue, because they allow undocumented people to receive health insurance. They pay for that premium. And then once the person is covered, then they are able to receive that transplant. The issue that people don't know is that it is important to have health insurance because in order to receive a transplant, you're supposed to prove that you can take care of it. You have to show that you have health insurance that will allow you to receive the extremely expensive medication and doctor visits and follow-up and everything that is needed to make sure your organ survives. And that is just something that needs to be done because there's ethics when it comes to uh, transplantation. Transplant teams don't want to give an organ to someone who is not going to be able to take care of it. So at the end of the day, it's not really about discriminating against undocumented people. It's just finding a way to make sure that they are able to have the health insurance needed to be able to receive their transplant. And that's a great segue to Catalina. Catalina, can you tell us a little bit about the Illinois Transplant Fund? How did it even get started? And why is it important for Gift of Hope, which is an organ procurement organization that focuses on deceased donation, to start something like this? Yes. uh, Well, uh, the Illinois Transplant Fund started as a movement from several several people that actually were upset and sad that some people for uh, they thought that it was be- being undocumented but in reality it was because they didn't have uh, health insurance were not able to receive a transplant that happened in 2014 and the result after um, many demonstrations and talking with hospitals and getting together was illinois transplant fund funded by uh, kevin simon which actually was at that time the executive director, the CEO of Give of Hope. His vision was to solve that problem 
because he was tired, I think, and listening to the people, listening to the groups that said is because people undocumented do not have rights and uh, talking to the transplant centers, they got together and put seed money to buy insurance for those people. When Jennifer talked about the uh, misconceptions, one of them is uh, thinking that people who do not have social security numbers cannot buy medical insurance, which is not true. There is an instrument which was the Affordable Care Act that actually allows people to buy medical insurance without social security number and also without having a physical exam. What happened if people have uh, these people who are in dialysis or waiting for a transplant go to buy medical insurance, they are, will be denied or will be extremely expensive. With this uh, affordable Care Act, people start being able to buy medical insurance happen at the same time, and is how Illinois Transplant Fund starts. Well, Catalina, we know that a lot of times our undocumented population is not very visible and tries to stay under the radar because of ICE and, you know, the the possibility of deportation. How do you recruit or how do you find people who need these life-saving transplants? And how do they get um, selected or recruited, if you will? Actually, Illinois Transplant Fund do not do any promotion, does not do any recruitment. Everything is managed through people to, I mean, person to person or the transplant centers or the dialysis centers. Everything is about education. Transplant centers make a big effort going into the dialysis centers and educating the social workers that actually are going to educate those patients that they believe that are eligible. Patients that have been on dialysis for many years, patients who are consistent on dialysis, and uh, they have not been able to qualify for a transplant because they do not have medical insurance. Illinois Transplant Fund uh, works hand-to-hand with American Kidney Foundation. American Kidney Foundation provides support for these uh, individuals to buy medical insurance before the transplant. And after the transplant is when Illinois Transplant Fund supports these patients. So, Catalina, you say that you've been supporting families since 2014. How many families or how many people have you supported and have gotten these life-saving transplants and insurance? We have about close to 500 applications. And from those, more than 260 individuals got a transplant. These are families, these are individuals that otherwise will not be eligible. So we can say that it's very successful. Uh, When ITF started, those uh, individuals had no hope. They thought that they were going to be on dialysis forever. And when we talk about the general population, we said that people wait between four to eight years for a transplant. We had people in uh, ITF, the Illinois Transplant Fund, that had been waiting for over 20 years. And some of them, unfortunately, have not been successful in getting an organ because by the time that they are eligible, the health is so fragile that they are not eligible anymore medically. So we have, over the time, we have achieved those patients that actually got the transplant is because 
they have anyhow promised by ITF to pay the medical insurance after the transplant. And many of them are still on ITF support. We have about 125 people that are receiving support each month. Many of the people that are not longer supported by ITF is because they graduated, and we call it that way. Let me explain something before that. We have a population that is young. Most of them, the average is 40 years, but we have people in the 30s, 40s, 50s. So these people are going to start working again. And as soon as they can, they are able to buy the medical insurance or they are able to get into a job that actually is going to offer them medical insurance and they get off ITF. We have some very, very successful cases that before they get to the time limit that we have for support, they call us and say, hey, I do not need them support anymore because I am able to pay myself. And now I want to give that space to somebody else in the community. And Catalina, I was remiss. And what is your role at the Illinois Transplant Fund? My, my role is to be sure that people get the checks. <laughs> but in reality, no. I coordinate with the transplant centers, be sure that the applications are complete, bring the applications to the board for review, for approval. Uh, be sure that people, because they need to every year requalify, be sure that they still meet the criteria. Educate uh, some of the personnel from the transplant centers. Educate some of the social workers from the dialysis centers. Maintain everything related to policy and maintain the relationship with the patients. It is very easy to say, okay, I'm going to send the check and that will be it. Unfortunately, because we have a community that is not very familiar with the system, a community that is not uh, fluent in English, they are in poverty. That is the reason is one of the uh, eligibility criteria. There are so many other needs that month by month we, or I, because I am a one-person program, need to work with them social uh, workers, translation interpretations, food, housing, being sure that they understand the process of uh, following the treatment. Sometimes they uh, do not know the reason why sedimento is, is uh, emphasized by the physicians. They do not understand the reason why they are going to be on medication the rest of their lives. Sometimes even talking with the families. Uh, I want to say that uh, many of our patients have living donors. So sometimes answering some of the questions of the relatives. There are so many other uh, aspects in which I work, educate, support uh, these patients besides uh, what we do in ITF. is not only the financial support, but it's also a huge emotional and education. Great. And I understand, Catalina, that you and Gift of Hope recently worked on some legislation that would support these communities without documentation. Can you tell us about that legislation and, and what the focus is and how it will change uh, people's lives? Yes. This uh, was Kevin's idea. Again, Kevin has been a bit supportive, the founder of ITF. And last year, the social organizations around Illinois 
won the legislation about covering with Medicaid those patients undocumented that are 65 years and older. Similar to that, this year they tried to put another legislation about 55 years and older. And oh, going along with that, Kevin worked with very uh, people in the legislative area to get also covered those that actually have received a trans an organ transplant and they are undocumented and they are uh, in poverty. So the legislation passed on July 7th and right now is working um, on how that is going to be implemented. For the people who are 55 years and over, that is already a date set for that is going to be May 2022 when that will start uh, working. But unfortunately, we do not have a date for those that actually are uh, recipients of an organ transplant. How this is going to change, this is a, a huge change because many of our patients, even with the support for a premium that, is, that we provide, premium support for medical insurance, they are left with the copayments and deductibles that might be something between eight to 20,000 a year money that the majority of our families do not have. So with that, if they are covered, covered by Medicaid, they will have the opportunity to be covered for life with the medications, with a minimum copayment and also a minimum deductibles. It's more security for people that have uh, transplants because right now ITF only covers for 36 months, 100%, and then we encourage the patients to start working towards becoming uh, free from ITF. They start supporting themselves. So we are very happy because, of course, the majority uh, of people that we have seen when there is time to graduate to get off ITF, they do it. But we have three or four patients that it doesn't matter what they do, they, they what they do, they will not be able to cover that or that expense, not the premium, not the copayments or the deductibles. And uh, we want to be fair, these people are individuals that have lived in the United States for over 20 years. That is the average. They are not individuals that are coming just to get the um, transplant. There are not individuals that have never worked in the U.S. Actually, the average of uh, residency in the U.S. is 20 years. And so if someone needs assistance with a transplant from our listening audience, how can they access the fund? Uh, they need to go to the social worker in the dialysis center, or they need to uh, go directly to the transplant center is the only way. We do not receive applications directly because one of the requirements is that they are being evaluated by a transplant center. And the only way for us to know that is happening is if we receive the application from through the transplant centers. So a final question for both of you. Uh, Jennifer, we'll start with you. What do you want our 
listeners to know and what do you want our members of the Hispanic community to know about how to advocate for themselves with regards to organ, eye, and tissue transplantation? I would want people to know that the Latino community is a strong and thriving community that is growing every day. And with its growth comes challenges because a lot of infrastructure, a lot of services aren't equipped to be able to meet the demand of this growth. So I would encourage, as as you mentioned, Marianne, for Latinos to be able to advocate for themselves, to, to make sure that they're going to the doctor, to make sure that they're letting their doctors know how, how they are feeling, that they are able to ask any questions, feel free to ask any questions about what foods they should be eating and that they also follow these instructions. That's the most important part. I have the same struggle with my own parents who are also immigrants who got to this country and who didn't have a doctor to go to and who didn't have uh, instructions to follow to lead a, a healthy lifestyle. But uh, with time, they learned that they need to speak up. They need to use their voice to be able to get the care that they need. Yes, I, I should say be persistent. If you want an organ, talk to your doctor, uh, get educated, ask people, and push and push because there are so many barriers. One is the language barrier. The other is the system, the navigation of the system. The other, there are some beliefs that may or may not be, exist in all the families. And also, be sure that you are strong about your roots. In general, the Latino culture is healthier than the most Americanized Latino culture. Keep eating what you were eating in your small towns. Keep moving around, exercising, because those are things that the majority of people lose when they come into this country. And also just ask and understand that physician, uh, physicians, social workers, all the personnel are humans. You are going to find somebody to tell you, to guide you. Also become aware of the social organizations and events that actually you have the language barrier are offered in Spanish. And be involved. Do not stay in your small neighborhood. Try to find out somebody that actually is guiding you because there are a lot of people that actually have the information you only need to find them. Thank you for listening to Let's Talk Hope and we encourage you to start the conversation today about organ, eye, and tissue donation with your loved ones and please make your wishes known. We really want you to have these conversations so that you don't have to have the conversations in a tragic circumstance. You can register to become a donor at giftofhope.org or by texting the word HOPE, H-O-P-E, to 51555. Hello, Tina Montgomery, Supervisor for Community Outreach. In my role, I'm responsible for raising awareness and educating the community about organ, eye, and tissue donation. Daily, I'm asked a host of questions about the donation process and how it works. So we've decided to put them all on a wheel and give it a spin and answer some questions from the audience. Oh, the wheel is spinning. That's a really good one. Here we go. Question one. Will donation disfigure my loved one's body after death? The answer to that question is, when you donate your organs and tissue, it is done with the utmost care, dignity, and respect. The body is never disfigured and donation does not delay 
any funeral arrangements. Thank you all so much for those questions. This is a huge wheel, and so we have a lot of information to share with you about donation facts. So please, we look forward to seeing you at the next episode. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today, please subscribe to Let's Talk Hope. This podcast is produced by Rivet, and to hear more great podcasts, visit rivet360.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.